previously on Shelf Love. Bridgerton. Bridgerton! I, I want Twilight. I want Edward and Bella, but I also want the fucking. And a lot of that really drew me into fan fiction. So when I'm filtering on these sites at even 15 years old to specifically put romance in the filter, in my head, I'm still not reading romance fiction. He smells her blood and he's like, yeah, like, like he's the, gonna bust. I hate you. That's 8,000 cans of words. That's a harmful narrative. I'm gonna watch this because it's hashtag diverse. There are no black people in these books. I don't think that's actually the takeaway most people have. You can't just change yeah. the cover. It does not actually change the story. And this is the can of worms I don't want to get into. When you change the race, it starts adding another layer of cultural complexity to the character choices. Hello, and welcome to episode 78 of Shelf Love, a podcast that unpacks romance novels with nuance. In conversations with scholars, readers, and other experts, Shelf Love contextualizes the popular romance genre within the broader critical discussion of identity, culture, and love. I'm your host, Andrea Martucci, and my guest today is Dame Jody Slaughter, author of novels such as White Whiskey Bargain and All Things Burn. Will Bridgerton spark romance curiosity in a new generation? And how will Romance Landia handle those newbies' first clumsy steps into our world? What I'm guessing from the critiques from the show is that they did not add any nuance to the show, or much, I guess. I mean, nuance. what's going to happen is people are going to walk into their bookstore and they're like, oh, I just saw this on TV. I liked it. Maybe I'll pick up this book. That's what they're hoping will happen. Yeah. Is this a questionable decision given the choices on the show, given the actual text it was built from? Is there something deceptive about putting the characters from the TV show on the cover of this book? A question for another time. But I think there's certainly some synergy there where because it is very much a topic of conversation and it's going to be recognizable, even digitally, they'll be on Amazon and they'll see the yeah. cover pop up and they'll be like, that's familiar. I liked that. Maybe I should read this. I'm sure Julia Quinn's book sales are up. But does that translate into other romance novels? And how does that translate into what gets adapted after this? I understand that there are a lot of other adaptations that are in the works right now. And I don't want to speculate on what exactly is coming out. But I also wouldn't be surprised if what people clamor for is more Regency, specifically. And I have much longer thoughts on what happens when you adapt romance novels to the screen. That's another can of worms yeah. I don't want to get into. But I'm curious if there's a way to leverage the interest in Bridgerton to bring people into romance and to get them to understand. And this is where I'm very much like, this is a learning opportunity for people. And yeah. like, how do we get people to open up their takeaway to not just be like, I guess what I like is Regency romance, right? Yeah. To be like, what I really liked about this was the romance and I don't have to limit myself to just Regency romances. There's a whole world of romances out there that I would say do a much better job of representing <laughs> diverse people. And right. there's also a much bigger world of like other worlds that are not just a very short period of time in history that is steeped very much in colonialism, imperialism, and extreme privilege for a very small group of people. Yeah. Then again, billionaire romances are super popular. So I mean, that's true too. Who am I? That's an interesting question. I 
truly don't know. I think you're definitely right. People are going to be reading the books. Are they going to keep reading Regency romances, period? And then are they going to branch out? And I think that's another issue with the diversity is like, there are plenty of people who watch this show who they enjoyed it because it was like, I can have black people on screen, but I don't have to think about them being black. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about them branching out into romances that do a better job of like displaying actual diversity, is that something they're interested in? I think that's a good question. I think that's, a, <laughs> I, I mean, I definitely think most people would not be able to articulate that either they are looking for or not looking for that. Yeah. I'm sure that lots of people would have sort of like, nah, I'm just not that interested in that. Yeah. But like we went through the journey of Jodie Slaughter and Twilight and everything. I want to be realistic about how people get into these things and where they go. We did see, I think, after Twilight and after Fifty Shades of Grey, which is Twilight fan fiction. <laughs> we did see... People come into the romance genre. And actually, part of the reason you and I started talking about this was I asked the question, like, how did you get into romance? Because I was thinking about this and you were talking about Twilight. And a lot of people have stories like that. Oh, I got really into it from Twilight or Fifty Shades of Grey. And then I found my way to the things that now I know I actually like. And I assume it's like a funnel, right? Yeah. Like the total audience of 63 million people who have seen Bridgerton so far 63 million people are not going to start reading romance novels. Right. Absolutely. How many of them are going to read Julia Quinn's books? How many of them are then going to go to other Regency romances that are being recommended as similar on every media platform in listable form? (laughs) How many of them are going to branch out to other subgenres of romance? How many of them are going to become dedicated romance readers? Ooh, I think what you're circling is like, how do we make room for these people in our community when we're gatekeepy as fuck. You know what I mean? I think this comes up every time people talk about like the romance canon and every single book and author they talk about is not someone that I have read and it's not someone I'm interested in reading. Mm-hmm. And that that doesn't mean that like my personal romance canon is like any better than theirs, but I think that we definitely have to have room for people who came in via like People who started watching fucking Daredevil and thought Matt and Electra's chemistry was off the charts and somehow found their way into whatever. And so they didn't come in reading anything, really. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're mm-hmm. sometimes your romance canon doesn't start with books mm-hmm. at all. Sometimes it doesn't start with like romance novels at all. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it starts with romance novels that are. Problematic. Yes, problematic. Sometimes it starts with some that are shitty. There are a million entry points. Each one of them, it is what it is. And we have to have room for people to come in and put their feelers out and explore what the shit is like without necessarily telling them, oh, you watched Bridgerton, whatever, whatever. Now, like I said, I'm not, I am not going to watch it for reasons that we don't have to get into here. I also was never going to watch it because I'm not interested in Regency romance. And also because you don't need it. This is the same yeah. reason I don't like a lot of TV. It's not like I think there's anything wrong with TV. It's that I know I prefer the romance yeah. I can get in romance novels. So why would I go to something yeah. that I know doesn't hit that for me? 
because I know what I'm looking for. Yeah. And I'm, I love TV so much and I'm soaking it in. And as a writer, I'm soaking in feelings that I'm like, oh, I'm going to put this into books and characters and stuff. Like my own romance fan and my introduction to romance is like shitty and it's racist. And it is based on like white supremacist ideals and like pro-life ideals and written by a Mormon woman who didn't even want to like possibly make side characters in the movie be people of color that's my entry point into romance it's not good yeah and i think that some of the places where there's discourse about these things i think that if you imagine that twilight came out now and you were like i'm gonna age you up in this scenario just so that you're not like a child but like say you're like an 18 year old who just got into twilight and there's a conversation happening on Twitter and you're like excited because you want to talk about this thing that you love with other people. And you have a take that is perhaps unsophisticated, that is perhaps problematic. How does one react to that? Because is it helpful? Like, this isn't me saying excuse racist takes. Yeah. This is me saying, is there a way to engage productively with somebody in that situation? I think there is. But I also think that the person on the other side also has to be willing to be. <sighs> it's very complicated, right? Because yeah. first of all, are you as an 18 year old receptive or not, And I don't want to turn yeah, this just exactly. into age, but are, are you no. on the other side receptive yeah. to this? I think you have to be open to being challenged in that way. It's hard to, and I think this can come with age, but it's hard to separate. So much of us are tying so much of our like identities with the things that we are interested in. They become a part of us, the people too. It's like stan culture. Anytime someone critiques Beyonce and you are a Beyonce stan, and even if it is a critique that isn't based in like massage noir, if it's just I'm I I didn't like uh, this album, it can feel like they are critiquing. This album is my identity. Yes. And she is a part of your identity. And it feels like someone is attacking you. And I think that's a huge issue and that it makes people less receptive to critique because I think that this can be an issue like in the romance community is that we make it our entire identity and we all do this. And I think that this is something that like, I, I don't know. Speak for why... yourself. Oh, please. I don't do this. No. I, <laughs> I don't, why we do this. I, I don't know that it's just based on like our human, our want to connect to something and when we find a thing that helps us connect to other people mm-hmm. it becomes everything I don't know but I do know that once we make it so deeply ingrained in everything that we are it becomes harder to accept criticism and I think that when you're new and you're being sort of swept up in this hype and all of these feelings that come with say an 18 year old the twilight comes out now I remember how I felt about twilight I wasn't out holding up signs like <laughs> trying to get Robert Pattinson to spit on me. Were you wearing the t-shirt that you're wearing right now? No, but I was first in line for the first showing of Twilight at my movie theater behind ropes, like waited in line after school. So, and I would not do that for anything now. (laughs) I'm like, I can wait. It doesn't, do you know what I mean? But I don't know that even if I had been 18 at that time, I don't know how receptive I would have been to critique. So I think it's like, we should lend people grace But what do we do when people aren't necessarily acting? It's hard to say that they're acting in bad faith. And I don't like to infantilize people and say that they don't know what they're doing. But I do think that 
a lot of times people aren't aware of how much they've made a certain thing their identity mm-hmm. and how it's a really sore spot mm-hmm. to like touch on it because there needs to be a little more introspection and whatever. So I don't know. So let's talk about this with Bridgerton, right? The romance community heard Bridgerton was coming out and we're identifying this as a romance adaptation. And I think that what I saw happening was people conflating any criticism of Bridgerton as criticizing romance adaptations, which then became we can't be critical of this because we want this to be successful so that other romances can get adapted. So tying it all together, it's tying the idea that we need this to be successful to open the door for others. And, you know, I'm critical of the idea that Bridgerton opens the door for others, period, and specifically for others that are very different from Bridgerton. But it's a bit like, who are we having this conversation for? Yeah, That's what we saw with the content warning around the sexual assault that prior to it coming out, it was unclear. Mm -hmm. And now that it's out, we know that there is a sexual assault in episode six. And it was incredibly hard to nail people who had seen screeners down to acknowledge that there should be a content warning for episode six. And there is an argument that like the conventions of a content warning or trigger warning are different between romance novels and TV shows. Like these are different conventions. And so maybe media reviewers don't have the same ideas about what they need to warn people about in in a preview type review. But I think that's where we start getting into how the adaptation, it's not a romance novel then. It isn't. Uh... However, romance readers, especially the ones in the discourse that I saw talking about this at least, are going into it, seeing it as, because this is adapted from a romance novel, this is a romance novel on screen. And so I'm going into this with expectations of a romance novel. My expectations are very different from somebody who's going into this as a TV show and has no concept of the source material or the source genre. I think that's, obviously that's a very good point. Wow, so we're like, so. We're having different conversations. Yeah, and I guess this goes, this does go back to the bubble. I think we would do ourselves a favor if we would think about who was this created for. And I us, not us. Not it's not created for us. It's not created with romance readers in mind because I'm not saying they just threw it all out the window, but it wasn't. They wanted to reach the largest audience possible because they wanted to make the most money. Mm -hmm. And the largest audience possible is not not catering to talk about romance novels. Right. Yeah. I mean, definitely not people who talk about romance novels on Twitter, but even although we know that many people read romance novels, even in the grand scheme of TV and film, the total audience size for TV shows is much greater than the number of people who read romance novels. Yeah. So that's definitely something that we have to put into perspective as well. So for these people who might be romance curious, I think that there's like a similar way of thinking about that and engaging with those people. And first of all, probably shouldn't go out and pick fights with people who are not coming into our spaces, let's say. Yeah. When people uh, wander into the spaces of this discourse, the romance novel discourse of a new thing like this. Yeah. I think that there's like a, what are you hoping to achieve type question? Like, does this person want to learn? Is this person just like unaware of the conventions of the genre? And they're not, we're not talking about the same thing here. And there's a pragmatic side of this. There's like a maturity side of this. Yeah. 
like pragmatically, what are we hoping to achieve? Do we want to like scare people away because they're not ready for this? To, to be honest, I think that a lot of people won't admit it. I think that there is a part of us that enjoys being insular. Oh, yeah. A huge part of us that enjoys being insular. A huge part of us that isn't open to new comers and that's for a myriad of reasons like whether that be like people who know that they will thrive better in a community that is small because they can be like big fish small pond types of people Mm -hmm. but also it feels safer Mm -hmm. you because you don't have to engage with viewpoints that are vastly different from your yes yeah I don't like to end these sort of like philosophical conversations on like well there's no changing it but I don't know. I think it's just going to be up to those of us who are willing to like take on the work to do the work and to not worry so much about, because I think there's no changing the minds of some people in the romance community about like letting other people in. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, you mentioned the word gatekeepers before. I think that's very apt. It's like the hipster mentality. Oh, I knew about the band first. And as a former hipster, I can assure you that's exactly what the fuck it is. Yeah. If you don't have the authority or knowledge that I have about this topic, you don't get to say anything and you need to be schooled by me on this topic. And, but who is like quantifying? What does it mean? I I guess I don't under, like, like when we're talking about like knowledge of romance what quantifies you being the most knowledgeable person is it years spent in the community is it number of books read what which particular books one has read determining who or who is not qualified to speak on romance issues there is literally nobody pure enough of heart and mind and tenure or whatever because I think that we also saw like oh I don't care what that person said because one time they said blank yeah is that a criticism of their argument or are we just saying are we just saying that person doesn't get a say because I don't agree with everything they say yeah or that that person's point is invalid because I don't agree with everything they have said ever or this person yes this person doesn't have a deep enough experience with romance to say this and it's like how about we just engage with the points like if there's an argument against the points let's stick there let's start with the actual problem with the points they made and I think that's the opportunity to educate people yeah and I think that too often in the romance discourse people accept the premise that the other person starts with so like romance novels are trashy how dare you romance novels aren't trashy And it's like, maybe a better question is, what do you mean when you call something trashy? What are you actually talking about there? Are you talking about a hierarchy of taste and how some literature is highbrow and some is lowbrow? Yeah. And maybe the problem is the hierarchy, not that we need to position things that are seen as lowbrow as highbrow. The problem is, why is highbrow better than lowbrow? I think that's exactly it. I was... (laughs) Oh, goodness. So I don't know if you know the Try Guys. They're on YouTube. Yes, yeah. Okay. Their wives <laughs> have a podcast called The Try Wives. I assume that's what they would be called. Yes. <laughs> and one of their wives, Ned's wife, Ariel, my younger sister is really into them. So she listens to the podcast. And my younger sister is 19. We talk about romance. Life. She's not even a reader, but I'm like just like talking at her. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, you should listen to this part because Ariel talks about 
being into romances. And so I turn on this part of the podcast and she's like, I love romance novels. And the first thing she says is that she's like, oh, they're so trashy. They're so bad. And my hackles are raised, but I'm listening to her talk and she fucking loves romance novels. Like she Mm -hmm. loves them. She reads them all the time. She is a fan but she is also indoctrinated. Yes, she's, she's, she's been indoctrinated into a culture that says that these are trashy. And so she is acknowledging that she knows that everybody else thinks they're trashy and yes. is being a little defensive. But I love that you can read between the lines and parse out instead of saying, how dare you call them trashy? Yeah. I'm like, I know why you're saying this. We've all been told. Every single one of us has been told this shit sucks. It's trashy. It's it's just smut. It's whatever. And even though we've reclaimed these terms in community and we have an understanding that like when we say something is smutty, when we say this shit is trash, I love it. Mm-hmm. We have an understanding that like, okay, but if someone outside that who we consider to be outside says the same things, I don't know that we give them the grace to be like, let's unpack that the way that we've unpacked that, Mm -hmm. right? You're saying romance novels are trashy. Everyone's told this person that romance novels are trashy. Because we love romance novels so much and because we're all just like beautiful, brave souls who have like, (laughs) I'm not going to be embarrassed by this and fuck society. Does it mean that like everyone else is there yet? Because they are still surrounded by family and friends and partners and wherever they are who... If they were to say, yes, I really love this romance novel, everybody in the room would spend 10 minutes shitting all over them. Mm-hmm. So, you know so it's I mean? a learned they- reaction. Okay, yeah. I need to preemptively tell you that I'm aware of what you think of these books and what you think of me as being a reader of them. Yeah. I know they're terrible, but I like them anyways. And yes. please don't yell at me. Yes, and as a writer... As a romance writer, I have to, my hackles, every time I tell, every time someone asks me what I write and they are outside of the community, I have to prepare myself to like have to defend it. You have to and, spin it. You have to spin it for yeah, your audience. Yeah. And now I've gotten to the point where I can be like, I write romance novels. But when All Things Burn came out, I was like, oh, it's like a thriller <laughs> about a guy and this girl. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that like everyone isn't where you are and... We do have to, obviously, if someone is, like, acting in bad faith, that's Mm -hmm. a different conversation. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that it's good that we assume that everyone is acting in bad faith just because they use words. They (laughs) use words that we are highly sensitive and attuned to. However, these are words that don't mean the same things to everybody. And, yes, I think it's being aware of our audience and being aware that people say things and they don't know the meaning of them. And we can either use that as an opportunity to see if the person is open to learning. We can always ignore them. That's what I'm saying. I'm not someone who is like, I'm not a teaching spirit. And so that's what I tend to do is I just ignore the person. Mm -hmm. If I'm not in a mood to let me educate you. But the impulse to just like automatically, and it's just creating like a bunch of shit and drama on the timeline that like, simply does not need to be there if we're just talking about twitter specifically we're usually just talking about twitter there it is but i don't know there needs to be like some grace there needs to be like some lowering the hackles and like 
thinking critically about like just because you started reading romances when you were nine and you found them in your mom's book chest which is great Mm -hmm. that we're not all coming there a lot of us are coming from a place where we spent our adult life saying like no romance is shitty I don't read romance because everybody told me romance is bad and it's not cool and it means I'm not smart and whatever that happiness is bad (laughs) yeah and then you get in there because Mm -hmm. oftentimes because you have people who are there to guide you guide you and not give up on you immediately when when you make your first mistake and like boundaries are good I think it's fine to place a firm boundary of like yeah we don't like the word trashy because of this and create that boundary and if somebody's been told and they keep crossing the boundary like that's a thing that happens And I think there's like different strategies for dealing with it. But yeah, like maybe this person doesn't understand something and this it's a culture. Romance is a culture Mm -hmm. and there's definitely a learning curve with romance. You have to learn what the conventions are and then you have to learn, as you were describing, to sort of own what it is you enjoy, given that the cultural messages about it are that it's the worst. There's so many learning curves here. And I love the idea, specifically the word grace, giving people a little bit of grace, not a carte blanche to do or say whatever. Right, right. Maybe just benefit of the doubt sometimes. Yeah, the (laughs) B-O-T-D. Like, and it's like I said, I'm not a teaching spirit. So I doubt you will ever really see me in people's mentions being like, let me sit you down. And that's fine if you aren't but you can also just walk away I can assure you you can just block and move on and if you are the type of person who is a teaching spirit feel free but you also you know when people are behaving in bad faith I think Mm -hmm. or, or rather you need to be better at discerning when they are behaving in bad faith and when someone can be educated or someone can just be guided down, hey, go look at this, go yeah. do this. Even if yeah. it's not like, here's a lesson plan, just point it in a different direction. Or just ask the question, like, what do you think you're saying? Or like, what are you really talking about? And I think that sometimes, look, I have conversations with friends where I'm like, what are you saying there? And But that's the benefit of the doubt, is that I trust that my friend maybe isn't saying what I heard. And so yeah. I'm asking clarifying questions to be like, Do you really mean this? And look, I do that on the podcast all the time where it's kind of like, hey, you said this. Do you mean this? And I think that language is so imprecise and we have to acknowledge that despite the fact that one sits down to Twitter and supposedly thinks about what they say before they type it and press send, (laughs) let's be honest, it's it's a very brief, unnuanced form of communication. And I would love to spend more time talking about how words mean things. Look, Jody, you and I have been talking for literally four hours. Oh, my God. Dear listener That's... of this podcast, you're not going to hear four hours of our conversation. We we warmed up. <laughs> yeah, for literally. That's not hyperbolic. It has been four hours. It has literally been four hours. So, Jody, I'm going to let you live your young swinging single life. But <laughs> swinging single life. But Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you like me like old funny daddy? I'm like, I'm going to go clean my kitchen after this. I do. Young whippersnapper and all that jazz. I'm going to make sure my child knows I still exist. Um, <laughs> Jody, you had kind of a big thing happen fairly recently. Why don't you share that with our listeners and tell people when the big thing will come to fruition? 
So for a second, I was like, wait, what happened? So I recently signed a three book deal with St. Martin's Press and I will be releasing, well, not they will be (laughs) releasing the first book in a three book series. The first book, the title as of now is either way up. It's bingo based. It's a small town romance, but I love to call it a small town romance because when people are like, I'm looking for a small town romance, I don't think that what I'm giving them is what they're looking for. So it is set in a small town in South Carolina. It's a male-female interracial romance with a black heroine who has generalized anxiety disorder and a white male hero who has complex PTSD and they are just trying to figure their shit out and also like accidentally falling for each other and they go to like bingo games and there's like a sex pact and it sounded much better when i was pitching it a gamified sex pact yes a gamified sex pact and love possibly it's a romance novel so yes love you can use (laughs) gamified sex pact in marketing share that share that with your publicist writing it down i'm going to and i'm so serious (laughs) (laughs) and so a when does the book come out b is the book written the book is written. I'm actually, after we hang up, I will be editing. I will be finishing up edits because um, some edits are due on the 15th. But the book will be released 2022. We don't have an exact date yet, but that will be, it'll probably be spring, summer 2022. So that's to be announced. That's a long time. Look, we're You're telling me. I'm still going to be excited when it happens. And. Will anything else be coming out from Jody Slaughter? Dame Jody Slaughter. By the way, if anybody's ever like, why does Andrea call Jody Slaughter Dame Jody Slaughter? On a whim. On a whim. I was it when I was doing like the intro for episode 61, which is the first time you came by, or in social media or something. I don't even know literally. I think you I, said it on an Instagram in a video. Yeah. Yeah, I think you were like, I'm editing this episode with Dame Jodie Slaughter. And I was like, yes, that's sticky. I love it. And I had to look up. I was like, what is a dame? And apparently it is a, a woman who has been knighted by the queen. Yes. So, so I'm I, like Judy Dench. We're exactly. basically the same. Yes, exactly. So Dame Jodie Slaughter, will the dame be releasing anything self-pub in the next 18 months? So I have, I will be having an indie because I was signed with an indie publisher. Um, So my third book in that contract was turned in earlier this week. That'll be a novella. It's actually set in quarantine. It's a black romance. It's got like a sculptor and a very burnt out PA who is realizing that she doesn't know what she wants for her life in terms of just like career and she doesn't know what her passions are because she's never really been encouraged to find any um and they're all figuring this out over quarantine in the middle of the desert it's short it's like smutty it's not super high concept i just wanted something like people just sort of like talking and fucking sounds good but to that me. i don't have a specific release date for that yet either but that'll actually be in the next few months probably coming out yay get out faster <laughs> so, to the masses who are clamoring yeah. for exactly. just one more jody slaughter <laughs> oh my god <laughs> wow i also would like to state for the record that <laughs> i had occasion to speak of culling the herd earlier in the conversation and i said cullen the herd, the herd. 
it's a twilight. So just so you know what kind of like humor we're working with when you listen to the show, just like the cutest little like corny gumdrop of a person. After I released the I Just Have a Lot of Feelings episode, I was talking to you and I was like, oh, just, I just feel so vulnerable expressing feelings like this. And do you remember what you said to me? No. What did I say? You said something along the lines of like, yeah, we already knew you kind of had a soft, <gasps> oh, oh, a yeah. soft gooey center or something. Like, do you know those like chocolates? I don't like candy, but by the, and it's like the cherry that's mm-hmm. like so runny. That's, that's. Oh, oh, uh, cherry cordial chocolate yeah. or something. Yeah. But it, and it's not like the thicker, it'll like run out of the chocolate. Yeah. That's how gooey your center is. <laughs> Very soft. Just so soft. Jody, thank you so much for coming today to unravel the mysteries of the universe with me. Thank you. Did we crack? Did we bust that nut? We busted this nut wide open. <laughs> so, but thank you for having me. Anytime you need me on the podcast to help bust open a nut, I'm here. Hello, Shelf Lovelies. I hope you enjoyed part two of my conversation with Jody Slaughter. I mean, Dame Jody Slaughter. If you somehow listened to this without listening to episode 77 first, you were probably a little confused, even with the previously on recap at the beginning, doing such a great job of highlighting the salient points from part one. So go back and listen to the setup in part one, episode 77, if you haven't already. I promise it'll make a lot more sense. Jody and I recorded these episodes on January 9th, 2021, and I wanted to give a little update on the commercial success of Bridgerton since it is now, as I record this, January 29th. First of all, I just checked the New York Times bestsellers list, and The Duke and I, which is book one of the Bridgerton series, is number one on the combined print and ebook fiction list and has been on the list for four straight weeks. Just a reminder, this book is 20 years old. The Viscount Who Loved Me, which is book two in the series, is currently number 12 and has also been on the list for four weeks. And just like for context, I don't see any other romance novels in the top 15 right now. Book one is also a USA Today bestseller and an Amazon fiction bestseller for five weeks in a row. On Amazon, book one just fell to the number three spot after being in number one, and books two through five are also in the top 20. Interestingly, it looks like somebody got the memo that the Netflix series tie-in cover with the actors from the series, including the hero who is played by a black actor, uh, somebody figured out that that cover was a bad move because when I view product listings for the paperback, it has a photo of a white woman in a Regency dress with her back to the camera, but it has the Netflix badge on it, so it's definitely a new cover. It's a terrible cover, honestly. So it definitely reads like a slapdash attempt to cover up for what author Elle McKinney appropriately called literary blackface. I'll link to Elle McKinney's tweet calling this out in the show notes. She also mentioned the Barnes & Noble literary blackface incident. It's almost like the industry never learns from their mistakes. Jury is still out on the idea that the success of Bridgerton is going to translate to romance more generally. As predicted, Julia Quinn's Bridgerton series is doing great, and Netflix has already renewed the series for a second season, which is no surprise given that as of a few days ago, Netflix reported that season one has been watched by 82 million households around the world, 
which is ahead of the previous record holder, The Witcher, which had 76 million viewers in the first 28 days. So in the same period of time, 28 days, Bridgerton had 8 million more households watch it. However, these are self-reported numbers, and Netflix says that they measure a viewer as a Netflix profile, so one account can have multiple profiles, and a watch is counted if the profile watches for just two minutes or more. It's obvious that Netflix did a superb job getting people to click in to start watching. Of course, they're not going to share engagement numbers, which you know they have. It's clear that Bridgerton is now a household name, and it's very much on track to remain that way. What I'm going to be paying attention to is how the public, non-romance reading public that is, conceptualizes what Bridgerton is, and what it's similar to, and what they extend their love to when they go looking for more of the same. But that, my friends, is a whole other can of worms. I also have a podcast update. I am taking a hiatus. I think the longest I've actually taken off between episodes since I started back in September 2019 was skipping a week a few times. So two weeks between episodes instead of one. This is going to be a longer hiatus. I'm not sure exactly how long I'm going to take off, but definitely at least a month. Honestly, it's really hard for me to take a break. I do enjoy the work of the podcast, but as you know, I have a day job that is actually quite demanding. Plus, my husband and I are home with our five-year-old who is doing remote kindergarten. I don't need to explain how draining the pandemic is on all of us, especially as we round the bend of a full year. So as much as shelf love is a much needed creative and intellectual outlet for me, I need to give myself some grace and allow myself to take a break. In the meantime, please take a listen to my backlist of Shelf Love episodes if you haven't already. This is episode 78, so as you can imagine, there are many to choose from. Also, please make sure you are subscribed to Shelf Love in your favorite podcast app so that when I return, you will see the new episodes on your device. Thank you so much for joining me today and every day that you spend some time with me and a guest thinking critically about romance. If you have any thoughts on the show, I'd love for you to reach out to me you can send an email to andrea at shelflovepodcast.com. You can also find all of the information about Shelf Love, including transcripts for at least half of my episodes at this point, on shelflovepodcast.com. This episode is produced by me, Andrea Martucci. Thank you to Shelf Love's editorial advisory board members, Katrina Jackson and Tasha L. Harrison, who fully endorsed this hiatus. That's all for this week, Black Lives Matter. Stay safe, stay mad, and keep reading romance. Anytime you need me on the podcast to help bust open a nut, I'm here. I'm your this girl. This nut has been busted. The cordial is weeping around. Oh. <laughs> Dripping honey is all over us. I'm definitely leaving that in. You have to.